Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. That will be here at our church the 13th, so you can sign up for that in the breezeway today. You can sign up online as well. Invite, uh, we're asking, we're, we're inviting really every church in the community. So ladies, if you have friends that want to come, please invite them to be a part of that. Uh, coming up here in September. Also, let me tell you one other thing before I begin this morning. You may have noticed out here in the kind of the breezeway areas you're walking to and from the sanctuary, there's a, it looks like a new area. There used to be some double doors there. We've taken that off, opened it up. It was a bookstore several years ago. We've used it for storage lately, but we're turning that into a missional area. All the things that we've got going on, all the different activities, all the different missions that we're involved in, we are turning that area into a missional area. So we'll have sign-ups in there. We'll have information about uh, upcoming events and mission opportunities for you. So we're kind of in the process of making that changeover right now. You be in prayer for that and what the Lord's doing, and you kind of keep your eye on it, and we'll um, update you as we keep moving forward, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend some time studying your word. We thank you for the chance we've had to, to sing already, Lord, and, and to pray and, and, and to praise your name. Lord, as we continue our time of worship now by the study of your word, I pray you would speak clearly to us. Lord, I pray you would help us to, to set aside the distractions of the world and the things that, that hinder us from, from hearing from you. And I pray you'd speak very clearly to us, Lord. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This is, somebody under the age of 12, tell me, what is this? Light bulb, excellent. Now, you can do a lot of things with a light bulb. You can use it uh, in this room. We have light bulbs all through this room, all through the church. You use them at home. You use them at work. You use them in your vehicle. You use them for recreation. On and on the list goes. We use light bulbs for all sorts of different things, and they come in all shapes and all sizes. But what's the, what's the purpose of a light bulb? What does a light bulb have to do in order to work? Have light, right? I mean, that's what it's, what it's supposed to do. If a light bulb didn't produce light, it would be useless to us. Now, the interesting thing about light bulbs is that they need a power source. And so we could take this light bulb, we could screw it into a little socket, right, kids? And we could take the cord and we could plug it into the wall and hit the switch and it lights up. But without power, without electricity, this light bulb is pretty useless in it. It really couldn't accomplish the thing it's designed to accomplish. Now, we could do some things with it. Maybe if we didn't have electricity, we could use it as a decoration in our house, ladies, right? We could paint it a nice color and hang it by some string and look really pretty. I don't know. Maybe we could cut the top off and plant a little bitty terrarium in there with some little bitty flowers and have some really pretty stuff in there. It would be maybe useful in some areas, but it wouldn't be able to accomplish the purpose for which it's created. Now, I want to draw an analogy for us. Electricity is to the light bulb as the Holy Spirit is to the church. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in the local church, the church fails to function in the purpose for which it's created. See, when a church fails to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes something other than God intended it to become. Here's what I mean. If a church is not 
interested in seeking the Holy Spirit and finding its power source through the Holy Spirit, then oftentimes a church will become kind of like a social club where people will show up and they'll enjoy each other's company and, and fellowship. Maybe they'll have a good cup of coffee. If they're real lucky, somebody's cooking breakfast in one of the rooms. They get to eat breakfast, and they just enjoy time together, and they go home, and nothing changes. Now, there's nothing wrong with fellowship. There's nothing wrong with drinking coffee. Nothing wrong with eating breakfast together. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But when we see church as simply something we do because we've always done it, we're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is not part of our church, we are never ever going to accomplish what the Lord has called us to accomplish. Now the flip side of that is very simple. When we allow the Holy Spirit to work, and when we recognize exactly who the Holy Spirit is, and when the Holy Spirit's power is flowing through the local church, in Christ's words, we create a force that even the gates of hell will not prevail against. You see, when the church allows the Spirit to work, we accomplish great things for the sake of the gospel. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks thinking about and studying the Holy Spirit. We're going to begin this morning in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 8. Now, the difficult thing about studying the Holy Spirit is this. There's no one text that lays out everything we could ever want to know about the Holy Spirit. We can't go to one set of verses and it tells us everything there is to know. In fact, if you were to kind of spend some time studying through the Word of God, you would understand that really from the beginning of Genesis, when the Bible says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, all the way through the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit is present. And so if we're going to learn about the Spirit, we're going to have to kind of walk through some different portions of Scripture and kind of paint a picture of exactly who the Holy Spirit is. Now, today is going to be kind of that big picture view. We're going to talk about the big picture of who the Holy Spirit is, and then over the next several weeks, we're going to delve into some of the specifics of exactly how the Holy Spirit operates and exactly what that power looks like flowing through the local church. Now, this morning we're in Romans 8. Let me give you a little bit of background. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Many of you are familiar with this book. And Romans is probably uh, chock full of the most theology of any other book in the New Testament. I'll never forget when I was first reading through the, the, the New Testament many years ago. I'd read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it's the story of Christ. It's the story of his mission. It's the story of the early first century church and how the Holy Spirit worked through that church. And all that church accomplished. All the church accomplished. And then you get into the book of Romans and it's an entirely different idea. It's a, a theological treatise really on who Christ is and what Christ accomplished for us. And so Paul spends a good portion of the first seven chapters explaining to us the difference between the person that lives in the flesh that has not yet accepted Christ and the person that's living in the Spirit, the one who's given his heart or her heart to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin this morning in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 to kind of clue us in on what's going on here in Paul's mind. But then we're going to move on to verse 9 as kind of our focal passage this morning. So Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 
Paul has explained the difference. He's compared and contrasted those that are living in the Spirit, those that are living in the flesh. And we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore, right? So there's something that God's done here. There's a difference here between those in the Spirit and those in the flesh. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture of salvation. I think we ought to pause there for one second and just remember, remember, it does not matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter any mistakes you've made in your life. And I know that all of us have skeletons in our closet. None of that matters when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because at that moment, there is now, 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 no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Right? There's this sense that once we were living in darkness, once we were living in slavery, once we were living in bondage, but because of Christ and His sacrifice and what the Holy Spirit has done in our heart, no longer are we bound to sin. Now Paul's going to spend the next several verses talking about people that still live the sinful life. People that are still bound to their sinfulness. Now we're going to pick up in verse 9, and this is going to be our focus as we move forward today. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 8. You, however, right, here's the difference, believer. Here's the difference, follower of Jesus Christ. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to to Christ. Now let's stop there for a few minutes. We're going to delve into some of these truths as we move through this passage of Scripture, but I want to, first of all, paint a very simple picture for you. A foundational picture that we find in verse 9 of Romans chapter 8, and it's going to be the foundation upon which we build upon this morning and the weeks to come. It's going to be elementary to some of you. Some of you may have never heard it before. Here's truth number one. Understanding what Paul said in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, number one, as believers, the spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit lives within us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit lives within you. Now let's make a couple of very simple distinctions that are going to help us understand why this is important. You say, that's that's good to know, I appreciate that, I get that, I understand that. Why is that important? Well, there are two things we need to understand. Here's the first thing. At the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your heart, to use the phrase that we sometimes use in Scripture, in, in the church. The idea is that when you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelled you. Now, I want to read a couple passages of Scripture that make this case, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I want you to listen. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and watch this, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Right When we accept Christ, the spirit of the Lord comes to live within us. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and, watch this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At salvation, Scripture teaches we receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now we could go on and on and on, but the the point is, and this is important for us as we move forward, the point is when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit begins to live in your body. Okay? Now let's build on that for a few minutes because there are all sorts of passages of Scripture that speak beyond this. There are people in Scripture that we know are followers of Jesus Christ. For example, the apostles, the early century believers. We know they're followers of Jesus Christ and so we can say with certainty that the Holy Spirit lives within them. But there are all sorts of examples in Scripture where the Bible says that these people at some point in their lives were filled with the Spirit. Now there's a difference. There's something very interesting when we begin to read these passages of Scripture and we see that there are people that were believers and had the Holy Spirit living within them and yet there are certain points in their lives and ministry that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the truth that we need to understand. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, but here's the problem. Not every believer allows the Holy Spirit to guide them. So although the Holy Spirit may reside in your heart as a follower of Jesus Christ, you may not allow that same Spirit to guide you and to direct you and to lead you. So we come to these cases in the New Testament, these examples, where there are believers, there are followers of Jesus Christ, that the Bible uses the phrase, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to understand something. On almost every occasion when we read this phrase, Almost every time that we read that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was done for one simple reason. When a person was filled with the Spirit, they were given a boldness and courage to do things that they had not yet done. So we read all these instances where the Bible says people were filled with the Spirit, and then they do something amazing for the sake of Christ. I want to show you an example. If you have your Bibles, flip back to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have it, you can just follow along with us. Acts chapter 4. The Holy Spirit has already fallen upon the believers at Pentecost. And so these men, the early century apostles, are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're sharing, they're witnessing, they're praying. Peter and John have done some pretty amazing things. And so the Sanhedrin, the local authorities, bring them in for questioning. And so we read in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. They, these are the religious leaders had Peter and John brought before them, and they begin to question them. Now, here's the question. You ready for this? By what power or name did you do this? Guys, where where are you receiving this power from? By what name are you saying these things? How is it, guys, that you're able to do things and people are following you? How is it that people's lives and hearts are being changed through your message and through your ministry? Where's the power coming from? That's what they ask them. Now verse 8. Then Peter, watch this, filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is, right? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, skip down to verse 13. When they saw this, right, these are the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, here are these followers of Jesus Christ that already have the Holy Spirit living within them. But there's this moment in their life, there's this moment in the ministry where the Bible says they're filled with the Spirit. And when they're filled with the Spirit, it gives them power and it gives them courage and it gives them boldness to do things they had not done before. If you were to continue to read in Acts chapter 4 down to verse 31, you would see that after they prayed, this is the group of believers, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit. There's that phrase again. And they spoke the Word of God boldly. There's the idea again. We're going to be filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be courageous and bold for the things of the Lord. Now, we could go on and on. There's just a list of scriptures where we could point out people being filled with the Spirit. When they're filled with the Spirit, it gives them a sense of boldness to do things they haven't done before. But now, let's connect the dots here just for a second. Some of you are thinking, that's great news. (laughs) The apostles, the first century believers, the people that I'm reading about here in the book of Acts, they they had this opportunity, this moment where they were filled with the Spirit. And when they were filled with the Spirit, they did amazing, bold, courageous things for the Lord. But here's what you're thinking. That's great for them. What in the world has that got to do with me? I mean, 20 centuries later, 2,000 years later, and we're talking about guys that have long since died. We're talking about their ministry and how the Lord worked in their heart. That's great, Adam, but what does that have to do with me? Well, here's the connection. Get ready. Here's the connection. The same Holy Spirit that lived within them and gave them the power to accomplish all those things in the first century is the very Spirit that lives within you today as a believer of Jesus Christ. It's the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so as a a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit that lives within you. It's the same Spirit that lived within Peter. So the spirit that gave the first century believers the courage to stand up for their faith can give you courage to stand up for your faith. The same spirit that empowered the disciples in the first century can empower you today. The same spirit that led Christ, and by the way, if you ever have a chance, you ought to read through one of the Gospels, noticing the life of Christ and focusing on how many times the spirit guided Christ. I mean, the Spirit led Christ over and over and over from from His conception, literally, with Mary and the Holy Spirit, through His time in the wilderness, through all the miracles, through His death, burial, and His resurrection. We'll see that scripture in a few minutes. The Spirit was paramount. It It was of the utmost importance in the life of Jesus Christ. The same Spirit that led Christ can lead you. So where's the disconnect? We have this incredible power source that the Lord has already placed within us and we fail to use it. It would almost be like going to your house and and kind of shutting off the main breaker and there's no power to the house. And you go around and you can't figure out why the lights aren't working. Honey, can you change the bulb? Apparently the bulb's blown. Can you change the bulb in the living room? It's not working. The the air's not working. The TV won't come on. We've shut the power off to the whole house. I think sometimes we do that as a body of believers, right? We kind of short-circuit the work of the Spirit because we're afraid of it or we don't understand it or we've never really studied it and we can't figure out why our churches aren't doing anything. It's because we've got this untapped power source. We've got this resource that we're not pulling from. So I want to make a comment and a statement. 
Based on this teaching that we've already seen now in Romans chapter 8 and based on so many other teachings we're going to see over the next several weeks, I think our churches, this one included, ought to move toward greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to move toward greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. I think we ought to recognize the power that we've been given and we ought to use it to find the courage and the boldness to do the things of Christ that he's called us to do. Now let's continue, verse 10 of Romans chapter 8. Pull 9 up again if you would please. Let's just read it in context. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, right? There's that idea of the spirit involved in the life of Christ. The spirit raised Jesus from the dead. If the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So not only do we see that the Spirit is alive in us, but because the Spirit is alive in us, number two, the Spirit in turn gives us life. Because of who the Holy Spirit is, because the Spirit lives within us, that same Holy Spirit gives us life. Now let's make kind of another theological statement here to make sure we're all on the same page. One of the things that we'll see all through Scripture if you spend some time studying and reading is you'll understand that the Holy Spirit is fully God. We talk about the Trinity. We talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? That means that all the attributes of the Father are shared with the Holy Spirit. All the attributes of Christ are shared with the Holy Spirit. It's not as if the Holy Spirit kind of got the leftovers of the deity, He's fully God in the sense that Jesus is fully God. God the Father is fully God. And so because the Holy Spirit is fully God, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives. So I want to read a verse to you. I want to give you kind of a clear indication of one of the things that the Spirit does. And again, this study over the next several weeks is really going to enlighten us on all the Spirit will do in our hearts and our lives. But here's one example in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Here's the before and after picture again that we see over and over in Scripture. Before Christ, after Christ. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. There's this time where we were living in the darkness, but verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Praise the Lord he did. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now watch this. By the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There it is. See, we're we're, we're changed and we're shaped and we're saved by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit takes us from death when we were, what? Disobedient. When we were foolish, when we were led astray, when we were slaves of various passions and pleasures, when we were all these things, living in darkness and living in death, the Holy Spirit leads us from that darkness, from that death, and renews us and regenerates us into life. 
You say, oh, that's great, but what does that really mean? What does it mean that he brings us from death to life? What kind of life are we talking about? Well, certainly we're talking about life through salvation. But we're also talking about life more abundantly while on this earth. Now, we could define life a lot of different ways. We could talk about the biological definition of life and how there are certain things that have to take place. Cells have to multiply and divide. There has to be movement and growth. And all those things happen and there's life. We can define life like that. There are other people who would define life as the way that you live. You know, you, you need to kind of live it up, maybe they would say. You need to do what makes you happy. You need to kind of find your niche in life, and you need to do the things that bring you pleasure. It doesn't really matter what it means to anybody else. If you're happy, do it. That's really living, they would say. And how many of us have fallen into that trap? Well, what's the truth of the Word of God? What, what, what is... The scripture teaches us about what living really ought to be like. And I'm reminded of Philippians 1.21 where Paul gives us this very clear indication. Here's what he says. For me to live is, you remember what he says there? Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says to live is Christ. It means you know, if we're going to really live biblically and we're going to experience all the things the Lord has for us, Christ has to be the center of everything. To live is Christ. My focus should be Jesus Christ. The way I live my life should be based on the teachings of Christ. I should envision my life as a journey. It's a walk. I'm walking down this path and I'm heading towards Christ. And I don't want to stray from that. I don't want to deviate from that. I want to head right down this path because I know that to live means to be Christ and to be Christ-like and to live my life bringing Him honor and glory in all things. Like some of you, I have very bad vision. Praise the Lord for corrective lenses, right? Because if I lived in an age where there were no corrective lenses, my life would be entirely different than it is now. But I've had glasses since I was, you know, seven or eight. I don't remember how young I was. When I got a little bit older and could do it, I I got contacts. And so I wear my contacts. But I don't sleep in my contacts. I take them out at night. And so at night, at two in the morning, if I want to see what time it is, I'm right up against the clock like this. I mean, it's really ridiculous. I can't see anything. And so I'm, you know, is that two? Is it three? What time is it? It's time to get up. And I'm looking at the clock. I can't see. But when I get up in the morning, I wake up and get ready, shower, whatever. When I put my contact lenses in, everything's clear, right? And there's this marked contrast. It's like before and after, blurry, I can't understand. And the moment I put this lens in my eye, everything's clear. See, when, when we understand that Christ gives us life and that Christ lives in us, it's like a different perspective. It's like putting on the contact lenses of the Lord. We see the world differently than we saw before. Because when we understand that Christ lives in us, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and lives through us, and wants to lead us, and guide us, and direct us, it causes us to think differently, doesn't it? It causes us to act differently. You know, if you were to see me in the middle of the night and I was walking around my house, uh, obviously it would be dark, but I wouldn't have any contacts in. I would be literally grumbling in the dark, stumbling, not having any idea where I'm going. I can't see anything. It's kind of like that before Christ. We're just kind of walking through life. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. We're stumbling. We can't figure out why. When we understand that Christ lives on us, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit invades our hearts and we put on these lenses, it causes us to see differently, causes us to act differently, causes us to react differently. The world is different than it used to be. So as we study this passage of Scripture and we understand who the Lord is in us 
and we understand how the Holy Spirit wants to work through us, we begin to ask ourselves this question. Are we allowing the Spirit to show us life? You see, the, the world is filled with darkness. And the world is filled with people that want to grumble and stumble and kind of live in that world. And you know those people, you work with them. You may live with one of them. <laughs> you may have somebody in your family. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have this clarity now. You can see the truth that they can't see. Are you showing them life? Are you showing them hope? Are you saying to them, I remember where you are. I was once there, but I promise you there's hope in Christ. There's life through the Spirit, and I want to offer you what I've been given. Now let's try to finish this thing up this morning. Verse 12. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because we are different, right? We've been brought from the darkness into the light. We've been saved because the Holy Spirit lives in us, because the Holy Spirit demonstrates life through us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation. Now, that's a strong word. Paul doesn't say, therefore, I want to encourage you to do something. Therefore, I want you to think kind of strongly about doing something. Paul says we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you were See the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we've seen that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Because he lives in us, he gives us life. And then the third truth I want to see this morning is that because of these things, therefore, as Paul says, number three, we should live according to the Spirit. Because of all the Lord has done for us, because there's now no condemnation, because the Spirit lives in us, because the Spirit demonstrates to us life, we need to live according to the Spirit. You say, that's great. I get that. I, I get the fact that, that the Spirit's in me and, and that I need to be filled with the Spirit and, and led by the Spirit. I, I get all those things, but help me understand how that ought to happen. Help me understand how I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit. Well, verse 16 is a very interesting clue to me of exactly how Paul helps us think through this. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, we need to be careful here because this can become very subjective. How do you know the Spirit's leading? How do you know it's not something else? Because we've all kind of come to these moments in our lives where we felt the Lord calling us to do something. If you're like me, there have been moments in my life where I just felt the Lord calling me to do something. I was able to kind of find the courage through the Holy Spirit to do the thing the Lord called me to do. And then there have been moments in my life where I felt the Lord called me to do something and I was a coward and couldn't accomplish it. We've all been there. But how do we know as we think through these things exactly how the Spirit is going to lead us? How do we know if the Spirit's calling us to do something? How do we know that His Spirit is, in the words of Paul, verse 16, testifying with our spirit? Well, I want to give you three things I just want you to kind of ponder and think through this morning. Three things to consider as we think about the Spirit guiding us and the Lord leading us. Here's the first thing. 
If you believe the Lord's calling you to do something, here's the first question you need to ask. Does it contradict the clear teaching of the Word of God? Because the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you to do something that's contrary to the teaching of the Word of God. Let me tell you what I mean. Somebody may say something like this. You know, I'm not doing very well at work, right? My business is not doing well. But man, I've just got this desire to help people go on mission. I just feel like I need to give. I feel like I need to go. But right now, financially, I can't do it. I can't make it happen. It's not working. So I feel like the Lord's calling me to, to be a little dishonest at work with my books. I'm going I'm to move a few things around and a couple of numbers I'm going to switch. And when I do that, I think I can maybe cheat a little bit and pick up some profits. And when I, when I pick that additional money up, I want to give that money to missions. Guess what? The Lord's not calling you to do that. The Lord's not going to call you to lie at work so you can give money to missions. That's contrary to his word. A student may say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing well in this class, but I've got a 4.0 and I've got to maintain this high GPA because I need a scholarship. If I don't get, get the scholarship, I can't go to school and the financial burden on my family would be too great. So I'm just going to cheat in this one class. I'm just going to cheat on a few tests and I'm going to lie about some homework. And I'm, I'm doing it for the right reasons, though, right? Because I need to continue this GPA and get a scholarship. And in the end, it'll turn out right. The Lord's not calling you to do that. The Lord's never going to call you to cheat and lie to accomplish his purpose. You say, I feel like the Lord's called me to, to leave my spouse and to really find somebody that's going to make me happy because things just aren't going well and I'm, I'm not pleased with the marriage. And I think the Lord's called me to just kind of up and leave. That's not the Lord. We need, we need to be very careful as we try to sense the, the, the movement of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. As we try to sense the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we need to be sure that the thing He's leading us to do doesn't contradict the teaching of the Word of God. Here's the second thing you need to consider. As you try to figure out what the Lord's calling you to do, you need to ask yourself this question. How much have I really prayed about this? I'm just going to be just dead level honest with myself and my own heart. How much have I prayed about this? Because it's very easy for us to say something like this. I'm going to pray for that, right? I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to think a little bit. About, I'm, going to, I'm going to spend some real time in prayer. It's easy to say that and sometimes a lot more difficult to actually do it. So as we consider what the Spirit's doing and, and how the Spirit's leading, we ought to ask ourselves this question, have we really prayed about it? Are we, are, are, are we really seeking the Lord's guidance or have we just considered what it might look like if we did pray? And then the third thing, and there's so many more we could say, but the third thing, as you think about the Lord guiding you and what the Lord's calling you to do, have you really examined your heart for your motives? I think that's important. Because it's very easy for us to really want to do something, and we blame it on the Lord. Oh, I think the Lord's called me to do that. I really want to do that. You know, I think the Lord's called me to get that boat, honey. I mean, I've been praying about it. and Think about all the tracks I could hand out of the lake on Saturday, honey. Is that the Lord calling you to do it, or is that something you want to do? Examine your motives. Examine your heart. Spend time praying. Spend time thinking. Spend time studying. Because if you'll seek the Lord, and you'll seek the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to guide you and direct you, He'll do incredible things through you. I started this morning with kind of the picture of the light bulb, and I want to finish with that, because the light bulb is very interesting to me. When you plug that thing in, and the power comes through it, it, it... shoots out all this uh, light in all different directions, all these light particles in a million different directions, and it illuminates all sorts of things around it. And there's a need for that. But if we were to take those same light particles in that little light bulb, and we could kind of excite them and get them moving a lot faster, 
and we could focus them into one specific area altogether, you know what we'd have? A laser beam. A pinpoint, accurate, focused laser beam. I think sometimes the church is, is like the light bulb. We got a lot of people kind of doing their own thing, right? They're going and they're doing and they're moving and they're, all sorts of things are happening within the church. But I think sometimes it's important for us to consider this. What if the Holy Spirit is trying to kind of awaken our hearts and our spirits? What if he's trying to excite us about the things of the Lord and about the movement in our lives and in the movement in our community? What if he's trying to excite us and he's trying to focus us all in the same direction? If we allow the Spirit to do that, if we would allow him to to lead us and to direct us and to point us in the direction he'd have us to go, if we were all walking the same path together, can you imagine how that focus would impact this church, would impact this community, would impact this world. Because I promise you something. The Holy Spirit's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for this church. All He wants you to do is follow. And when you do that, I think you'll be amazed at all He can accomplish. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your study. Thank you again for this text and, and the truth of your word, Lord. Again, it's just compelling and it's challenging. And Lord, I just pray you would continue to open up our minds and our hearts to hear the truth. I pray, Lord, we would again be reminded of the power of the Spirit, how the Spirit lives in us and can fill us and can lead us to life, Father. But I pray that you would remind us of the obligation we have to follow the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live a life honoring to you. So I pray, Father, you would strengthen us, you would encourage us, you would fill us with your spirit and give us the boldness we need to accomplish great things for you, for your honor, and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance to come for a few minutes at the altar. It's always open. You can pray here. You can pray where you are. I just want to challenge some of you. Maybe you should pray about your focus. Is your focus on the things of the world or are you trying to live by the things of the Spirit? I'm going to give you a chance to pray. If you want to come down here, you can come and talk to me about salvation or you can join the church. But this is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.